0: morning and welcome to our service at crescent church we're delighted that you can be with us again uh, this morning over the past couple of weeks we've started a series uh, about the sermon on the mount and we look forward to ollie neal who is our speaker uh, later this morning we're going to start by singing uh, the words of jesus shall take the highest honor jesus shall take the highest praise Father, we come before you this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been considering over the past couple of weeks. We pray for Ollie as he speaks this morning, that we will again be impacted by your word and apply these things to everyday life. We continue to pray for your guidance in these days, for wisdom as we develop our programmes at Crescent. Thank you for the gradual reduction in the lockdown measures and we ask that you would protect people right across the world over these next weeks and months, guide our local and national governments in all that they do. We think particularly of countries in South America and in the USA where the situation is so serious at present. We ask that they will soon see a sustained improvement in their situation. We pray for our members who are unwell at present, and some who are really going through tough times. Please help and strengthen them today. We thank you for our families and for the children at Crescent who are now on summer holiday. Help them to enjoy what will be a very different break from school. Be with us now as we worship you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are thankful that over the past couple of weeks a lot of our shops have reopened and even this weekend, cafes and hotels have started up again. But Covid has had massive financial implications right across the world and close to home. This morning, Andy New, who is one of our members and a local businessman, is going to pray about the economic implications of the pandemic. But before Andy comes to speak, we're going to sing one of our favourite kids' songs at Crescent. Shine from the inside out, so the world will see you live in me.
1: Shine from the inside out, that the world will see you live in me shine from the inside
2: out
1: that the world will see you live in me you know me and you love me you feel me so send me to shine from the inside out that the world will see you live in me Shine From the inside out, us, the world will see You live in me Shine From the inside us With the world will see You live in me No me, me, me. me, love me feel me send me oh, No love me feel me send me Oh no me love me feel me send me Shine from the inside out That the world will see You live in me Shine from the inside out That the world will see You live in me You know me And you love me You feel me So send me You know you love me, feel me, send me Good
3: morning, my name is Andrew and I've been asked to lead a short prayer for business and the marketplace. So, let's pray. Abba Father, as we come before you this morning, we come in difficult times. We especially want to lift business and business leaders before you. God, we are so thankful for those in the marketplace providing us with essential goods and services at this time. Good God, we are so conscious of the pressures facing business. Pressures of direction, pressures of safety, pressures of cash flow, the simple money that flows in and out of of companies on a daily basis to operate has grown to a halt for so many. But yet utility bills, rent, supply costs, these bills still remain. God we pray that you would fill these business leaders with your wisdom and your guidance. May they stay strong in this uh, changing moment. Father we pray for the staff that make up companies large and small in our city, pray that they would navigate this moment with wisdom and safety. But God, ultimately, we pray that people across this land will start to experience afresh a sense of your presence and your peace in this time of change and challenge. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus amen
0: I think the words of our next song are really appropriate all I once held dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own all I once thought gain I'd I now count as loss spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you Jesus there is no greater thing you're my all you're my best You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. great to have Ollie Neil with us this morning as our speaker. Ollie is married to Rachel and he is our youth and young adults worker at Crescent Church. Ollie has been involved in a series of podcasts entitled The Equip Project and I hope you've had the chance to check these out on our website. Before he comes to speak to us Helen Crooks is going to bring the reading for this morning.
4: Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Beware of practising your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door,
5: very good morning everyone growing up my three brothers and i spent hours and hours playing sport in our garden and we played almost everything we played cricket we played rugby which could be eventful at times there was one occasion when charlie actually burst my eardrum playing rugby Uh, we played football volleyball golf Uh, golf was also interesting because if you really connected with the ball and got a real clean strike it would carry A few houses down, and we sort of braced ourselves for impact, just hoping we wouldn't hear an almighty crash at the end of it. Boxing was also a favourite, and the trampoline provided the perfect arena for a real showdown. I remember trying to perfect bouncing a ball on a golf club or kicking a rugby ball through the posts. But it was always much more significant when someone saw you carry out some kind of trick or skill. It felt pretty lame doing kick-ups with no one to be wowed by it. Dad would sometimes offer us prizes um, if we hit a target or did something vaguely impressive. And the opportunity to be seen by him, to make him proud, added a lot more weight to the proceedings. It felt good to be seen. And as I thought about our passage today, it struck me that the desire to be seen is a very human thing. I wonder how many of you guys have posted on social media in the past seven days. Why did you do that? I wonder, what motivated you to do that? We have this longing to share our experiences, don't we? Whether it's our 5K times, our French toast, or even our children with the world. And it's quite a fascinating phenomenon when you think about it. Many of us like to be seen, and that's not always a bad desire at all, but motives matter. At the start of chapter six, Jesus speaks directly to a people who were desperate to be seen by others. And he said this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. And when I read that, I thought this could be written directly for a 21st century world where how we present ourselves is so carefully crafted and curated and filtered. And it's easier than ever before to practice our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. To post on social media about that charity we've donated to, or the way we care for the environment with our eco-friendly lifestyle. To post about our our self-discipline or the Christian books we've been reading, our well-informed political opinions, maybe. Even our so-called quiet times can get shared with the millions of people on Instagram. And I'll hold up my hand and acknowledge I'm guilty of of most of those things. Now don't mishear me, I know it's possible to do a lot of these things with pure motives. It is possible, but it's certainly not easy. And Jesus knows exactly what we're like. He knows how prone we are to sin. And that's why in verse 3 of our passage, look at that with me, verse 3, he says, when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, we don't even need an audience to fall into pride over our generosity. So how much harder is it then when we share our righteousness with our 300 plus followers on our social media account? It becomes really, really difficult. And some of you are maybe thinking, yeah, I see that all the time. This is exactly what so-and-so needs to hear. But here's the thing. Jesus knows you need to hear this. I need to hear this. And maybe it's not social media that's the issue for you. Maybe it's just casually dropping your good deeds into conversation in the guise of a good story. I was just walking home from work and I saw this homeless lady and I felt really compelled to to help her out. Why share that with someone? For the good of the, the homeless woman or for our own ego. We're very good at the kind of classic uh, brag disguised as a compliment type thing. Maybe it's I've been supporting this Christian ministry for many years, they do a great work, don't they? But actually you've just chucked in the fact that you've been supporting them. Many of us are experts at that kind of thing. But that's not the Christian counterculture that Jesus calls us to. And so he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now I must confess, I'm very prone to legalism. And when I read this passage initially, I instantly felt guilty. This was my thought process. I thought, I do not give enough, I do not pray enough, and I've never fasted. And my conclusion was, I'm pretty rubbish. And I need to do better and that is the thought process of a legalist and my prayer is and I urge you please don't think like that because there is a place for conviction as we hear these things and and maybe as we look at this passage God's spirit will convict you but don't let I need to do better be your end point because in your own strength I guarantee you, you will fail you aren't capable of doing better in your own strength. And the result will be either pride if you do make some progress or depression and despair if you fail to hit the mark. As we read the three examples of hypocrisy Jesus identifies, remember the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount that Jim outlined in his first two talks on the subject. Number one, Jesus is determined to reconnect us with our Father in heaven. Jesus is determined to reconnect us with our Father in heaven. And number two, Jesus is determined to transform us so that we are perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. You see, Jesus knows that it's not by gritting our teeth and digging our nails in that we're going to become perfect like our heavenly Father is perfect. He knows that we can't do that. He knows that we need reconnected with our Father. We need God's Spirit to transform us from the inside out that heart-level righteousness that Jim was talking about. And it's through being reconnected with our Father, through the Holy Spirit's transforming work within us, that we begin to manifest the fruit displayed in this passage and enjoy the genuine rewards on offer. So if you feel the weight of conviction as we look at this passage... May you, in repentance, run into the arms of your loving Heavenly Father. Don't be driven into prideful legalism or the hopelessness of despair. Run to your Father. And may you long to be seen by your Father in that secret place that the passage talks about as you walk with him in loving relationship. So let's look at the first example of religious hypocrisy that Jesus identifies, and and that concerns giving. And throughout the Bible, giving is regarded as very important, giving to the poor, looking after the marginalized. Deuteronomy 15.11 says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. You see, we serve a God who loves to reach out to those in need. We serve a God who loves to raise up the humble and fill the hungry with good things. That's what God is like. So as we do the same, we imitate the character of God. He's a God who gives sacrificially, a God who is self-giving, and and obviously that's most clearly seen in the cross when, when God the Son gives himself up to death on a cross for poor, spiritually bankrupt sinners like me and you and we see this this heavenly father who gives up his beloved son gives him up to death in order that we might be reconciled to god and you know that's what makes the events of verse two so shocking because they misrepresent the character of god and they turn an act of moral beauty giving to help the needy into an act designed to 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 serve yourself how, how perverse is that? An act designed to help others into an act designed to be self-serving. And the picture's almost funny in terms of how blatant the desire is to, to show off this giving. You know, these people announce their giving with trumpets. Can you imagine waving your cash in the air before you drop it in the treasury? They don't want anyone to be mistaken about what they're doing. And they crave the affirmation of the crowd. And so Jesus says, you're hypocrites. And that term comes from, from this classical Greek word, which meant an actor, someone who would go on stage and wear a mask and perform for a crowd. And so Jesus is clear that it's, it's not really an act of righteousness at all. This is a complete sham. Yeah, these people are giving to the poor, and, and that might even impact their bank balance, right? This, this might hit them financially. But it's all a performance designed to win the favor of others. And they've twisted something that's morally beautiful, you know, this morally beautiful way of Christ that he's setting out. And what they've done, in the words of John Stutt, they've turned an act of mercy into an act of vanity. And that's a tragedy. To turn something designed to serve God and others into an act designed to serve yourself. And because their motive is wrong, they may as well not be giving at all. It's of no eternal value whatsoever. I remember during my undergraduate degree sitting in the Sheikh Zayed Theatre and pretending I knew what was going on in the lectures. And it was named after the former leader of Abu Dhabi, whose son had given some crazy big donation to the school. And people love that kind of thing, don't they? They love to see their name up in lights or, or to post on social media about the charity they've given to or the the sponsored walk they're doing, or whatever it might be. We love a bit of affirmation, don't we? We love a bit of acclaim and honor. And there is a reward for forgiving in that way. Jesus says that, there is a reward for that. Those who do this often get what they're hoping for. They are seen by others. They are honored by others. But actually what Jesus is saying here is they miss out on something far greater. So Jesus says, don't be like this. Instead, give in secret. Don't even be so self-aware that that you're giving. Don't, Don't even think too much about it. Don't ruminate on it. Don't gloat about it. Instead, give to bring joy to your Father who is in heaven. Don't worry about being seen by others. Worry about being seen by your Father. And there is something so special about giving in that secret way. Giving so the father alone knows about it. I wonder if you've ever tried it. Giving without telling a soul. Giving to bring joy to your father alone. Seeing a need and talking to your father about it. Talking about how you can work alongside him to meet that need. Using the resources he provides. What a privilege to work with your heavenly father in that way. The thrill of knowing you're bringing him great joy is enough. And note that we don't give in this way to to receive a reward, but the natural result of giving in that secret way is a reward. Giving in secret also protects us from the idol of the praise of others and helps focus our minds on the genuine needs of the poor and marginalized. It helps ensure that our motive really is to help the needy and to demonstrate to them the character of our God. Finally, note there is an assumption by Jesus that his followers will give. He says, when you give. So that's clear that it's meant to be a normal part of the life of a Christian believer, a normal part of the way we live out this Christian counterculture. The Sermon on the Mount sets out before others and show them what our Father is like. The next area of hypocrisy Jesus identifies concerns prayer And in a similar way to giving, there is again here an expectation that his followers will pray. When you pray, Jesus says. And again, the contrast is between the one who prays in public so that he might be seen by others and the one who prays in secret so that he might be seen by the Father. And you see, again, the problem isn't so much the desire to be seen. In fact, that desire is natural. It's a natural part of being built for relationship that we want to be seen. The problem is wanting to be seen by the wrong group of people, wanting to be seen by others, as opposed, to be wanting, as opposed to wanting to be seen by your Father in heaven. And I think this particular temptation, you know, prayerful performance, if you like, performance prayer, this is a particular temptation for those who are up at the front in church, those praying in the breaking of bread, maybe, or in a church prayer meeting. Because it's so easy to put on an act in prayer, isn't it? I I remember being hyper-aware of people who were in the room with me. It's so easy to to put on a mask and and perform. To pray to the congregation rather than to God the Father. To pray publicly in a way that you'd never or, or rarely pray privately. We can pray with a number of different aims in mind. We can pray to show others our strong theological understanding to show how passionate we can be, to show how much we care about a social issue, or to show others how close we are to God. And perversely, we make something designed to bring honor to God into something designed to bring honor to ourselves. It's totally messed up. It's totally warped thinking. So Jesus says, once again, don't be like this. Instead, in verse six, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, the, the antidote to performance prayer is time alone with your father in that secret place, praying to him. And as I thought about this, I, I thought it's the times alone with my wife, Rachel. It's those times that we really get to know each other the times we have the deep conversations about life, maybe about our hopes and dreams and joys and sorrows. And it would be totally bizarre if the only time that I really shared my feelings for her were publicly, you know, maybe via Instagram or in, in in a group setting. That would just be like really weird, wouldn't it? I wouldn't know how to relate to my wife publicly if I never spent time getting to know her privately. I also wouldn't have the right to praise her publicly if I never spent any time doing so privately. It would be pure hypocrisy, wouldn't it? And likewise with our loving Heavenly Father, do we enjoy walking with our Father in the cool of the day? Do we love the moments alone with him? Do we enjoy like, even something like a sunset, or the sound of the birds, or a gentle sea breeze? Do we just talk to him about it and thank him for it? Do we tell him about our day, the high points and the low points, the the difficulties and struggles, the hurts, the fears? Do we thank him for the small, seemingly insignificant things as well as the the massive things? Or does it seem strange to, to share moments like that with your heavenly father, just to be in kind of a constant conversation with him? It shouldn't. That should be a normal part of life in the kingdom of God. And any public prayer should be the overflow of those private moments with your Father who sees you. As well as calling out hypocritical prayer, Jesus calls out babbling prayer. Mechanical, repetitive prayer without any warmth or delight in the Lord. It's meaningless, it's pointless, it's a a tick-box exercise like religious Islamic prayer. So Jesus says, don't be like that. Again, this is not how we should relate to a loving Heavenly Father, because not only does he see us, but he also hears us. He knows what we need even before we ask him. So we don't need to try and stiff arm him into action by vain repetition. He knows our need and he wants to hear us talk to him relationally, not robotically. And so Jesus sets out this model prayer for the disciples to follow. Ironically, it's a prayer that, that many people have repeated in robotic fashion without due thought for the words. To go into the Lord's Prayer in full would probably be another sermon in itself. So we're going to keep this, this high level and just note three things, each of which I believe provide an antidote to hypocrisy. The first is that the Lord's Prayer addresses God as Father. That's number one, point number one. Again, we see this beautiful picture of of God as Father. He's enthroned in heaven and yet he cares for us as children. And it's only once we have a right view of God as Father that the idea of longing to be seen by him alone begins to make sense. That's point number one. We address God as Father in prayer. Point number two, the the Lord's Prayer primarily emphasizes God and not ourselves. The first half of the prayer is entirely focused on God's name being honored, God's kingdom being expanded, and God's will being brought to pass on earth. The longing of Christ is that the Father's gracious rule is going to be extended across hearts and minds throughout the world. A focus on building God's kingdom, not our own little castles, temporary and futile. That provides a powerful antidote to hypocrisy. And thirdly, even when the prayer turns to our needs, it's rooted in a dependence on the Father. Look at verse 11. We think at this point, oh, wow, it's, it's now our chance to ask, you know, what we want from God. But actually, the emphasis remains on God here. It's on reliance. It's on dependence. We rely on the Lord even for something as basic as a, as a loaf of bread or petrol for our cars or the oil or gas to heat your homes. We're utterly dependent. We need our Father. And crucially, we also rely on him for forgiveness. In the expectation that if we've been forgiven by him, we naturally will have the desire to forgive others. We don't see ourselves as superior to other sinners. And this, this point on forgiveness, is a fundamental truth that underpins the whole Sermon on the Mount. We don't repay our debt to God through sticking as closely as we can to the framework Jesus outlines. Instead, we can only live the life Jesus outlines if we've had our debt paid by Christ, if we've been transformed by him from the inside out. And if we have, then then we rely on the Father still on an ongoing basis for the strength to stand firm against the devil's vicious attacks. So when we pray in that secret place, when we spend those joyful times with our Father, let's pray with those three principles in mind. Finally, as we close, Jesus turns to a third area in which people were showing hypocrisy, and that concerns fasting. And here again, the pattern is, is similar to what's gone before. Those fasting care much more about being seen by others than they do about being seen by the Father. They're going around looking like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. It's ridiculous. They're glum and gloomy and disheveled, and they're hoping people notice how sad and unkempt they look, and think, oh, aren't they holy? They must be fasting. It's ridiculous, it's farcical. It's a complete mess. The whole point of fasting is to fully focus on the Lord for a period of time to refrain from something as important as food because of a desire to seek after God. Yet these people are hypocrites because they're taking something designed to heighten focus on God and they're using it to heighten focus on themselves. Man, we human beings are so warped in our thinking sometimes. And so Jesus says once again, don't be like that. When you fast, make sure you don't look any different from normal. Don't let anyone know you're doing it. Enjoy fasting for your father. Enjoy being seen by him alone. And the result will be reward that has eternal value. I think it's beautiful, this Christian counterculture that Jesus is setting out in the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine a group of people that actually lived this out, that were genuine, that weren't out to impress others with their righteous deeds. They weren't putting on an act but they longed to bring joy to their father in heaven. That would be an authentic community that so many people crave. A community that genuinely cared for the poor and marginalized. A a community that prayed heartfelt, genuine prayers and fasted to the glory of God. I said right at the beginning that that Jesus is determined to reconnect us with our Father. He wants to smash to smithereens the idea that this life is a big performance for the benefit of others. And he's showing us throughout the Sermon on the Mount that this world is not our stage. It's not a stage for us to perform on so we can take our masks off. He's showing us that life is so much more than a life lived under the sun in the language of Ecclesiastes. This is the father's world and the real life, the most rewarding life you can possibly live is lived in relationship with your father. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us what the father's world is like and it's beautiful, I hope you agree. And Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out so that we can live in that world, so we can be perfect like our Father is perfect. He knows we can't do it on our own by gritting our teeth, by digging our nails in. He knows we inevitably will stumble and fail and fall, but he wants us to have this heart level righteousness, the kind that produces the fruit of a consistent life, self-giving, sacrificial. And he's made our obedience to the Father possible, This is crucial. He's made our obedience to the father possible through his obedience to the father. God, the son, gave himself up, self-giving to death on a cross that our debt to God might be paid. God, the son, bore the wrath of the father to connect us back to God. Do you want to be transformed from the inside out? Well, the message of of the gospel is simply ask, turn from your sin and ask Jesus to transform you. Tell him you want to live in the Father's world, that you want this righteous heart. Christ died that you might have one for all your rotten sinfulness. We all want to be seen, don't we? We all want someone to care that we exist, someone to value us. The liberating truth of this passage is that your heavenly Father sees you and you are of infinite value to him. Christian, he delights when you do things just for him, things that no one else knows about, just you and your father. So may you long to be seen by your heavenly father, the father Jesus loves in the secret place as you walk with him in loving relationship. Let's pray and then we'll sing, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Heavenly Father, your name is holy and sacred. May your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as in heaven. We long for that, gracious Father. We give you thanks, Father, that by his obedient, sin-bearing sacrifice, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has made it possible for us to be reconnected with you, to live this real life, to be transformed from the inside out, Father, to have heart-level righteousness that we can never possibly gain in our own strength. We're weak, sinful human beings, rebels. Lord, and we can be empowered to live a life characterised by the moral beauty we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, please smash the idea that life is about performing for the benefit of others. Break down any longing to practise our righteous deeds in order to be seen by people. Father, instead, please give us a love for giving, for praying, for fasting in the secret place, knowing that you see us, Father, and that we are bringing you great joy. What reward that is. Father, root these truths from your word deep within our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.